Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices of practical guitars to the world. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitars Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitars or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitarspodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. Hi, Max. Hey. Yeah. Uh, so do you want to introduce yourself or do you want us to introduce you? Uh, I'll introduce myself. Oh, that's awesome. All right, cool. Go for it. Hey, everybody. I'm Max Carlisle, and I am a uh, guitarist on YouTube and also a guitarist in real life. And I play in a few bands, and uh, I play in Hellion, which is an 80s metal band. And I've got a really weird power metal project called Raptor Command, the heavy metal tribute to Elon Musk. Yes. And then I do a whole oh, bunch yeah. of, uh, you know, of YouTube videos. I review guitars and amps and, uh, you know, original solo music and uh, all that good stuff uh, playing guitar in 2019. Yeah, man. Uh, so you just got, you just had surgery, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I had a, an injury to my left arm. I completely tore my left bicep tendon. And how's your recovery going? Are you are you back to playing yet? Or I am back to playing, and actually the recovery is going really good. Uh, it's going about as good as I could really hope for. It's not, you know, my left arm is still real weak mm -hmm. compared to uh, compared to my my other arm, but I, at least I can play guitar again, and it hasn't. Uh, you know, I'm not going to have any permanent damage from it, which is I'm real happy about that. Wow, I always found that to be like the most frightening thing like in the back of my mind is like what if i do so because i used to skateboard like when i first started playing guitar and i quit because i was playing guitar um because i just had this like realization one day like if i fall and i break my wrist or something i'm not gonna be able to play anymore or i could have permanent damage so i mean it's cool to hear that you're recovering and i'm, I'm glad to hear that um and i i'd seen some of your videos where you've been playing since then but i know you'd i know you'd done some pre-recorded stuff so i wasn't sure um but yeah dude so in preparation for this episode, I went back and I watched um, some older videos, and like I think you're a perfect fit for a guest on this show for a number of reasons. Um, so this is obviously the practical guitarist, right? And so we try to be, you know, make practical gear decisions. And for most people who like, if you're not a touring musician, right, a lot of the gear you show on your show is like more in the vein of like what people that kind of are on a budget like would be would be looking at yeah I, I thank you i mean i i agree with that um you know 
as cool as full stacks and 120 watt tube amps are, you know, we, we all love that stuff, but are you really going to use it? I mean, other than just to get uh, street cred, right? I mean, you know, most, most of the time, even in a rehearsal, which rehearsal is often the loudest you're going to play, even right. in a rehearsal, you're not going to get an amp like that past three or four on the volume or something like that at right. best, you know? And so, yeah, the, uh, the lower wattage amps or solid state amps, digital amps, things like that, that have a wider variety of uses. Uh, I think that's really what a lot of people are, are really looking at these days. And that, that, you know, that's what I try to, uh, to show people. Well, just, you know, looking at like, uh, the Joyo stuff, like that's really big because, um, for me, like growing up, I was always into the boss stuff because I was, you know, I didn't have a lot of money when I was a kid and that was the cheap stuff. Right. Um, and I see like Joyo and brands like that being the the boss of today, you know, um, similar designs in a lot of cases, like it's very much like a clone of something that already exists or, um, a modified version of something that already exists. And now they're starting to come out with like unique stuff. Um, but I, I think it's really cool that you provide a voice for those companies because like without, so the, so the Chinese marketplace and a lot of times, like a lot of these stuff is coming out of the far East like that. Um, doesn't have the marketing capital here in the United States. So they have to partner with people and whatever to get, to get their name out. Um, and so like, that's how you get into situations like, uh, is it Wong's amps? Um, where, you know, he, they've got like a face is that they're in Kalish, the guy on, on, uh, Facebook that like everybody knows is the, the Wong's guy. Right. Um, but like they have to find people to rep their company here in the United States in order to, in order, I, I hate to say it like this, but like push their product. And, um, I mean, if you're going to be that guy, like you're the face, you're the face of it. And you put like a really positive face on it. Like I can watch your stuff and not feel like I'm being sold something that really doesn't live up to the hype. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 No, I, I hear what you're saying. And it's, you have to be careful when you're doing it for sure, because you could easily rep something that's just junk. I mean, there, there is stuff out there that's really, uh, yeah, it's a copy of something that's cool, but they just didn't copy it very well. There's a mm -hmm. lot of pedals that are like that, especially. Fortunately, most of the amps I run across are pretty, you know, pretty legitimately cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you got to be careful. You know, you don't want to just be like, hey, guys, check this out. And everybody buys it and then the thing doesn't work. And then, you know, you're <clears throat> it's not a good thing. Well, as far as the amps are concerned, I mean, I imagine like China still produces tubes and they have a lot of tube technology left over there. So they probably have people that actually know, cause that's the problem here in the United States, right? Like, and, and parts of Europe is that tube technology exists, but it's so esoteric that there's like not a place you can go to learn it. anymore. And so a lot of it's just kind of passed down knowledge or people reading these old books and not really get it. And maybe not grasping all the concepts and like, going through the full design engineering process that people go through to like learn to do that stuff. And I've heard that from people like, uh, like James Brown, the guy that designed the 5150, he talked about it because he was like on that, that cusp of solid state engineering and tube engineering when he, when he went to school for it. Um, and I think China would have like a stronger grasp on how to deal with tube electronics, heat dissipation and all those things that were a bigger issue in those kinds of designs. Yeah, I, th I think so too. I mean, I think you mentioned something uh, a little bit ago that's really important. And that is that a lot of these companies started out by copying existing designs. Mm -hmm. And so when they're in that phase, maybe they don't exactly have that grasp. But, but now 
you see these companies pushing the designs further and they're bringing out new products that's not a copy of anything else. And that's something that I'm really happy to see uh, because like what you're talking about with tube technology, you know, it's not impossible that there is still, you know, we haven't quite found the boundaries of those things yet. You know, there's still progress to be made on that front. And so now some of those companies really are are doing that and they're pushing the envelope of, you know, on one hand, it's a relatively old technology, but on the other hand, there's still some progress to be made there. So I'm, I'm really happy about it. Yeah. yeah, one of the ones that I was looking at uh, today was the Bernie, B-U-R-N, um, I-E, or B-U-R-N-Y. And uh, that was one of the ones you had talked about where uh, trademark laws were keeping um, uh, those guitars from getting into the States. And what you played was a pretty cool uh, a Les Paul style guitar with uh, the Sustaniac type pickups and that type of thing. Just pushing um, a an old guitar because let's face it, the Les Paul buyers, as Gibson has kowtowed or you know bent over and said, okay, that's what we'll do. They want, they still want the one that's like the fifties. They want the exact same thing. They don't want any changes. Where at least a new company can say, okay, we're we're putting this out here, but we're putting it out for people. We're not we're not aiming it at you older people that that don't want any change. We're aiming at somebody who wants to go further, wants to push the limits, wants to go ahead of where they are now yeah and it's funny because if you if you look at the comments that i got on that video there are a ton of the purist crowd in there and they say oh man get those electronics out of that les paul you know it's and it has a floyd rose bridge on it which is even worse right it's that like thing oh, looks really geez. cool i was yeah. like super interested in it when i saw it i was like hey, i don't know oh yeah i mean I, that that guitar is awesome you know it's it's 22 frets, maybe I could even push it to 24. That's really the only thing I would change on it to get the two octaves on there. But yep. uh, that Floyd Rose on there and the sustainer setup and the thing plays so nice. You know, it's nice, uh, not too big of a neck, real comfortable neck on it. The whole guitar itself is not terribly heavy. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not light, but it's not less Paul heavy either. Right. So yeah, man, I mean, I, I love that guitar. Um. But as far as like so so I I see because because you, you're you know you're firmly kind of like in the metal shred camp right and like I think that's another key element of what makes your channel work is because there's a lot of so we see all these YouTube guys and Jim and I just had a conversation on the last episode or the episode prior where we were talking about one particular individual who does a lot of um does a lot of work for for uh, well he doesn't do a lot of work but I mean like what he does is he he makes these videos about specific devices. And um, he does kind of like a review channel, right? But he's a he's like a dyed in the wool P dubber, and we see a lot of that. And that's like, and that's fine. I mean, I get it. Like, that's a big segment of the market. But it's really cool and refreshing to see somebody who's like repping basically old school, like eighties metal kind of stuff. And because um, that's that's my slant on things. Like Jim knows that's kind of where I come in. I, and I just want to um, barge in for just a second to say that. Uh, when it comes to that, you don't just talk it, you do it. I mean, listening to your shredding and your playing, you are out there actually doing this stuff. Not not in the bedroom, not, you know, overdubbing and overdubbing and overdubbing. You're you're playing this stuff for real and, and doing it really well. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I it's it's funny what you mentioned, um, David, about the the audience and what people want to hear and what they want to see. I think that uh, the whole 80s shred movement, I think that really still has a lot more traction sometimes than than what we give it credit for. Um, you know, 
something something that was kind of uh, sort of an epiphany I had a while back is that a huge amount of people who are listening to guitar music and watching guitar videos and all this stuff, they might not actually be guitar players themselves. They're just guys who are thinking about playing, like they would like to play someday or something like that. Right. And, you know, it's actually a relatively small portion of the audience that are like hardcore players who are just like playing all the time. That's a pretty small portion of the audience. So when I try to do something, I try to I try to present something that is accessible, you know, to a lot of people and to people who are not players themselves. They're like, well, that's the kind of thing I would like to play. So I feel like when you head uh, more towards the sort of traditional rock guitar that's, you know, ends up being really heavily blues based and that kind of stuff. That's I think that's what really most people want to, you know, when they imagine a guitar player in their head, like I'd like to play guitar someday. I'd like to be a guitarist. That's really the kind of stuff that they have in their head. Yeah, I can remember like because I'm I'm not as old. I'm not that old, right? I'm only like 34 years old. <laughs> I I think of myself as being a lot older than I am, right? I'm celebrating Father's Day because because I, I'm a father. But um, I'm laughing because like you're saying that, and I can remember when I was younger, just be, like wanting to be Led Zeppelin, like and play like Jimmy Page stuff all day long. And then somebody brought over um a videotape of Ingve Malmsteen. And I had like never heard of him. And I just sat there and I went, why am I even trying? Like, what? why am I even trying? Actually, I think I heard a CD first. He brought over a CD first and then he brought over the videotape because I, I heard the CD and I was like, how is he even doing that? Like, I knew that Van Halen did the tapping thing and I'm like sitting there trying to figure out Ingve Riss via tapping and I'm like, this is just insane. Then he brings over the video and I'm like, now I get it. I, I need to quit, you know? Um, but I, I, I can play a lot of that stuff now, but I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where, um, you have that epiphany moment and that's where people rise to people like Paul Gilbert, Michelangelo Baudio and, and all those guys who, by the way, Michelangelo Baudio was on the show, um, a couple months ago. So for any listeners who are listening to this and haven't heard that episode, you might want to go back and listen. It was a great interview. So, um, yeah. really, really fun time. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'd um, like to listen to that too. Yeah. He was, uh, well, so he's actually, so I'm here in Chicago, right? So he's up on the North side. Um, and, uh, it was really funny because I got to see him the night that he was on the episode in this little bar, like right around the corner from my house. Like I literally walked to the bar. I mean, it was that close. I'm in the burbs too. So it's not even like, it's not even like a, a city club or anything like that. And, uh, there was maybe 30 people there and most of them were like the other bands that were playing that night. So I got to stand like right next to him and like, you know, basically, you know, see everything he was doing all night long, including him being his own roadie and all that stuff. And it was, it was super cool. Cause like you get to see a guy that, that, you know, most other people don't go through that. So in the interview, he talks about the fact that here in Chicago, he can't sell out a venue for whatever reason. It's like everybody in Chicago has already seen him. They don't want to go see him again, but he'll go to someplace like Minneapolis and he'll fill a small, you know, like a small theater. It's just, it's just crazy. But uh, yeah, it's a cool interview. Cause he has some really good stories to tell. Oh and yeah, I, one in particular about a fan. Wait for that one. Yeah, yeah, you'll like that one. <laughs> okay, I've, um, I've talked. I've talked to him, uh, him a lot. I mean, I've known him for years. And uh, oh yeah, I remember. I saw um, you did an ad like early on for like your lessons or something, and because um, I'd gone back and watched all that stuff like a while ago, um, and you taught. I think you mentioned him in there, and I was like. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that you, yeah. you, you, and you'd studied under him too, right? I mean, that's my understanding. <clears throat> like you learn, at least use lesson material or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, I used his his lesson material for sure. I mean, he played uh, like a guest solo on a an EP that, or actually a, a instrumental album that I did way back in like 2010 or something like that. Oh, awesome. Um, you know, Michael Badio is a really fascinating case because I think sometimes he gets a lot of flack uh, for not doing more like band stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and although he does do some of that, but, you know, most of what he does is uh, guitar clinics and, you know, kind of one man show kind of stuff. But man, I mean, he he has had a long career for decades flying all over the world to these places that really, really want to see him. I mean, if you go through and you find some footage of him playing in India and places like yeah. that, they're going berserk, you know. And so why would you, you know, there's a lot of guys I know, a lot of great uh, guitar players who are touring guitar players out with bands that can't even afford to have their own uh, apartment back back in, in Los Angeles when they come home. Yeah, like I Michael, know Michael Mike, is, yeah, Michael Impelitari is one of them, right? I mean, he's a guy that's like huge in Japan and stuff. And so, uh, who's the other guy? Uh, Marty Friedman's that way. Like, he's not huge here in the states. He does tour here in the states, but like, he's way bigger in Japan. Well, I mean, I just meant that. Uh, I just meant that Michael Badio. I mean, I know he's he's making real good money doing those clinics. Oh yeah. And it's like, why would you ever give that up? You know, why would right? you? So I think for him, it would actually be a step backwards to like join a you know join a band and you know go on tour most of the year that kind of stuff i think well, he would have less freedom as an artist and probably be making less money you know and he, he actually put a band together that's what was crazy the night i saw him he had a full band like he wasn't playing the tracks awesome did he and have he was, um was it that too, um female was, lead singer mm-hmm. oh, cool. uh, i forget what her name is but he's too he was touring that band like Excellent. they it was their second tour so um i think the first tour was like a european thing and then she came to the States with him and like they put together another band and they were doing a tour and I think they'd recorded a record or something. So like it was, I mean, it was, it was very different. Cause I, cause I know people have told me like, oh yeah, he does the clinic thing. And, um, it was not a clinic. Like he played, he played music that like it was basically, he described it as being a jam band. Right. And they were very much like going off the written page and stuff. And it was, it was fun to see him kind of like cut loose because I know, um, he's usually got a pretty, pretty specific show regimen. But that probably comes from the fact that he's a music historian. Well, that and the fact that when you're playing with tracks and Andy was doing stuff with that double neck or that quadruple neck that you saw, you pretty much got to have that worked out. There's not a whole lot of. He of, did new stuff on that too. He said that was the first time he'd altered that that whole thing in like a long time. He wow. he's actually written new material for the double neck and yeah. So it was it's cool. Like um, it, I mean, you've probably obviously seen him. I I like he's a good. A good draw and i think everybody should go see these guys every once in a while because like let's face it um a lot of that artistry is i wouldn't say it's it's dead it's it, guitar has changed like it's not this it's not the way it was in like 1991 you know when sure. these guys were running around in their heyday and i mean even vi talked about uh he's like i really want to sit down and make the proper guitar record because he doesn't feel like he's really done a record where he like you know basically does nothing but make sure that like his guitar work is is the the best that it can be because he knows that he's going to get to the age where he can't do it anymore like he's physically unable to do it so he's kind of concerned about it and oh, that's I, yeah that's something that uh, i just read about frampton so frampton's um touring right now and that's the same thing he's going through that uh where he, this is it he knows that he is 
like what just happened to you, Max, um, something a lot worse obviously happened to Frampton. He's not going to be able to come back from it. So he's he's doing his final tour, and he knows that he isn't going to be able to play, you know, at that level anymore. And uh, it's, it's kind of sad, you know, for him, but so he's yeah. got to do I was fortunate Each. to get to see him too. <laughs> Had a good show. Yeah, I've never seen Frampton. Uh, yeah, I'll, I should try to make a point too. Yeah, because this is his final tour. If you get, if you get okay. a chance to go see him, you should. Yeah, um, and it's it's a physical reason, so it's not like Ozzy. Oh, I just want to make some more money. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I just wanted to to uh, kind of chime in on um, what David said before about um, you know the guitar moments. I. I'm a little older, so I'm in my fifties, and uh, you know, I got to, I got to experience, you know, the whole Hendrix thing and the whole Clapton is God thing and all that stuff as it was coming up. And so, as a as a teen, you know, when I heard uh, Eddie Van Halen, that that was new music. That was that was taking over the world at that time, you know. And it was it was something that uh, hit us like a ton of bricks. Nobody had people had been shredding. I mean, you know. It, We've talked about Roy Clark before on the show. We've talked about people like that who are shredders in their own right. But <clears throat> um, nobody had ever done Eddie Van Halen had done. And they set a bar that suddenly for the 80s had to be, you know, it was this, this thing that everybody had to jump over top of. To It was a nuclear arms race is what it was. Yeah, yeah. It was like and the height of the Cold War in, in guitars. I mean. Yeah. And, and so when, it, when um, unfortunately, we saw then a, a a retraction, a pullback from the solos um, when Nirvana and the, that whole movement that came out. Um, and it's kind of cool to see somebody like you because you're young. I don't, I'm not going to ask your age, but you're you're younger. I mean, Dave here is in his early 30s. He's young enough to be my kid. So it's one of these things where it's cool to see somebody like you who is now holding the torch and, and running towards um, doing something new as well. Thank you. I mean, do, do you guys uh, are you guys familiar with Gus G? I I know of him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's another guy. He's somebody that I really really look up to in terms of his his playing is such a great blend of all of the kind of you know the shrapnel guys, but then also yeah. you know Michael Schenker and guys like that. I mean, uh, Gary Moore. He, uh, Gus G has such a wonderful combination of, of all of those influences there and uh you know i think i'm he and i are probably around the same age uh obviously his career is doing great with firewind and the stuff he did with ozzy all that uh, even his solo albums but yeah no it is it is really nice to see uh you know some some younger guys who are kind of uh pushing that um i guess the younger generation of classic shredding i guess that's a good way to say it mm -hmm. yeah why so Gus G's a good I'm I'm glad you brought him up because we haven't we've actually never talked about him on the show, but I always felt like um so he did his thing with Ozzy, right? Which I think lasted like one album and a couple tours. And then I, I always felt like he got the shaft so Zach Wilde could come back in. And it was like at some point, you know, I, I get it, it's all for the fans, right? So like for for you know the the Ozzy fans, like Zach's the closest thing they've got to Randy. And so when, you know, he decides he's going to do a farewell tour and he brings out Zach, like, everybody totally gets it and they understand. But I'm the only guy that's sitting there going, so you're basically just going to, like, leave this other dude in the dust? And they did it one other time, and I forget who, who the player is offhand. Um, right after Randy's death, they brought in a guy that was, like, he was their touring guitar player for, like, two tours. Oh, that was um, the guy from, uh, that was the guy from 
you know, you, you can still rock in America. What's mm-hmm. that? Night Ranger. Uh, Brad Night Gillis. Ranger, yeah. Yeah, yeah Brad it. Gillis. Brad Gillis. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, like, he doesn't have it. I, I saw an interview with him a while back, and, like, he doesn't have any neg- he doesn't have anything really negative to say about it, but you could tell, like, he wasn't thrilled with the idea that, like, he's that other guitar player that played for Ozzy and that one that's, like, not on any record. I think he's on a live record or something. Um, yeah, he's just, like, a dash. And, and that, that, like you said, that kind of stinks. I mean, not, not to take anything from Zach Wilde. You remember when we had, uh, so we had a... Um, an Aussie tribute band on and the tribute band's guitar player at the time was 15. He just turned 16. Yeah. Um, yeah. His name was Max too. Yeah. And his name is Max as well. Um, and he just, he just moved to uh, Nashville. Um, I, I still communicate with his dad and uh, it's just funny to see that um, uh, that young, I mean, he's young uh, when you meet him. I mean, you know, I met him in person and uh, <clears throat> we spoke, we got him on the show and, uh, really good, really shredding guy. Um, and believe it or not, the Ozzy uh, lead singer for Little Ozzy, which is the band he, he was doing that with at that time, um, then kicked his whole band out and hired a whole new band. It was very Ozzy-esque. I just thought it was really funny because, yeah, the whole, the whole band got fired. I didn't know they, that. Yeah, so what they've the done is effectively, yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to get Max back on the show. I want to get Max, the bass player, back on the show so that uh, the guy's Terry Hudson. Um, so they can talk. And what's funny is Terry's my age. I mean, we're almost exactly the same age. We're like within a couple of months of each other. And Max is, is 16. And, yeah. and they're in the same band together, putting out the and same energy the, on stage. Wait, he's so serious cool. when he says that kid can rock. Like, he's yeah. ridiculously good. Oh, yeah, I bet. I mean, some of these guys, uh, some of these guys you see on, on YouTube. I mean, they, they've got all, you, you go around YouTube and there's all these videos of like, 13 year old plays dragon force, you know, and stuff like that. And yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. You're like, you're like, what am I doing here? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a friend. We would just, we just got back to see Paul from seeing Paul Gilbert. We were walking out. And by the way, we saw Paul Gilbert and it was a really small show. There was like maybe 50 people in the whole place. And, um, we're walking out. And it, so Kurt, Paul, you know, played the show of his life. Cause he's like, that's who he is. Right. Like he, he got to go off and say things that he wouldn't normally say and all this stuff. So we're walking out of the venue, and I look at him, and I go, "Why do I even bother to play guitar at this point?" And yeah. He's like, "I feel inspired, you know." Like, wait, there's like two completely different opinions on this, you know. Um, but I was just thinking about, you know, people like like these 14 year old kids that can play um, what the Rude Mood or whatever from uh, from Stevie Ray Vaughan. And you're sitting there going, "I don't like this. This shouldn't even be possible." <laughs> yeah, when I was when I was that age, okay. So Stevie Ray Vaughan was in my 20s, right? I mean that <clears throat> that point. Um, I was in, in my twenties and, and, uh, listening to that music. And of course I was listening, um, to the kind of music that you guys are playing now, the shred, uh, of the eighties and Steve Ray Vaughan was such a, you know, from way over here coming in and, and playing a completely different style of music. And it's nice to have somebody like, like you, um, Max, who, who brings, um, these various types of music and puts them together into, and still tries to to make it something new goes to a place that other people haven't gone yet. Thanks. Uh, I mean, I think that's one of the most challenging things these days is to do something that doesn't sound like it's just been done a million times before. You know, there are, there are new things that people are doing on the guitar, but I think not all of them need to be done. Maybe that's a good way to say it, but 
uh, you know, there's originality just for the sake of doing something new, but that's not always, it doesn't always produce something that's really uh, listenable. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess the longer that music goes on, the longer that guitar goes on, of course, I want it to go on forever, but the harder and harder it is to do something that's fresh sounding. Yeah, I think that there was, um, was it maybe the uh, mid mid 2000s to around 2011, 2012, where every band that was putting out an album was like, we're tuned down to like Z. And so now this is the heaviest album we've ever put out. It's going to weigh 450 pounds and you're going to have to have a two man carry on the CD. I mean, it's just ridiculous um, to say, okay, that's what you did to make it new was to, I mean, I get tuning down. I really do. I mean, some songs sound better tuned down. Um, I play a seven string. Right, but to, yeah, and seven strings and eight strings are, are the proof of the pudding in that sometimes it's a it's a good thing. <clears throat> but um, I always I always say the same thing. So for doing something different, for the sake of doing something different, isn't actually um, forwarding the music uh, or um, anything really. It's just doing something different, and I, I can't help but think it's more like a like a sideshow at a at a circus it's just look i can i can juggle with um you know steak knives and yesterday i was juggling juggling with um herring knives and tomorrow i'll juggle with hatchets it's still <laughs> juggling with with blades it's still dangerous what are you going to show me that's something new oh we'll set them on fire i mean i don't know I, <laughs> i'm just saying you know yeah no I, I think you're totally right and i think one way to look at that stuff is if you look back a few years you know, maybe at the time, you know, if a band went that route, maybe at the time they had one successful album. Uh, but now that stuff, it seems so dated now, right? And it's only been a few years. I think when somebody goes for that, like, well, they did this, so we're going to do that too, but a little bit more, you know, <laughs> it, it just becomes so redundant and so derivative. Uh, it's like taking whatever happens to be cool at that moment and then just exaggerating it. And it, it ends up just like, you know, you, you listen to something or, you know, you look at, uh, you know, you look at a band photo and like everybody's wearing top hats and mustaches with pinstriping on their guitars. And it's like 2005, you know? And, and so now <laughs> you look at that stuff and it's like, geez, guys, you know, why did you have to go that way? That's exactly the reason that the 80s, like the end of the 80s with all the hair metal bands went the way it did. Right. Because everybody was looking at each other and being like, how more outrageous and ridiculous could we get? And it's not, and it wasn't just the music. I mean, it was like, like you said, like top hats and pinstripes. Like they really got to the point where they were like, okay, how, how tall can I make my hair get? And how, like, how much more fluorescent can I be on stage? You know what I mean? And it just got to the point where it, it just wasn't working anymore. But you know, what's funny is the bands that did work, the Van Halens, the, the ones like that, the, the bands you see today that are still selling a lot of tickets and they did the shredding thing, but they did it right. Michael Gilbert, Joe Satriani, um, Steve Vai, <clears throat> they can do it in jeans, t-shirts and, and plain, you know, Sneakers and, and their guitars don't have to be fluorescent green anymore. Although Steve Vai, he's got his own thing, and, it, and he is his own thing. I mean, no, yeah, like it's, he's it. really risen to like he's a Frank Zappa all unto himself at this he point. Um, and it's you're absolutely right, but I think part of that is Jim, like even Van Halen, they did the spandex thing and everything, like 
but you felt like those guys were really dirty and grungy and nasty underneath it. And so when they'd go back to the blue jeans and stuff later, like you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Whereas like Poison, if they were to go back to blue jeans and stuff, you're just like, the hell is this? Yeah, like it, it just doesn't work. make any sense. Exactly. Um, so I I don't know. And that's that's my two cents on it. But what I want to know, what I want to know is. Can we talk about Elon Musk and this project you've put together? Yeah, yeah, we got to talk about that. Yeah, sure. So, okay, so I, I mentioned this at the top of the show. Uh, I have a band that's a power metal band called Raptor Command, the heavy metal tribute to Elon Musk. And, and a few years ago, I was, I was just sitting around one day, and I was like reading an article or something like that, uh, talk, and it was talking about SpaceX or one of the things that Elon Musk does. And they had all these great technical terms in there. And if you if you go into the uh, just the, the information about SpaceX, they have such fun naming this stuff, right? And so the yeah. rocket is called the Falcon Nine, right? And they have mm -hmm. the Falcon Heavy. This the capsule that the astronauts ride in is called the Dragon. Okay, the engines on on the uh, the booster are called the Merlin engines. They have all these wonderful names, right? And I was sitting around reading this stuff, and I'm like, man, these would make such great metal lyrics. It's like it's perfect. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. even have to do anything to it. And that idea just, you know, you get those ideas late at night, right, where your brain is a little bit tired. And then usually you wake up the next day, and it's like, oh, that was ridiculous. I'm not Jim has a story about that. <laughs> Yeah, it was one of those ideas. And only, you know, the thing was, when I woke up the next morning, I'm like, you know what? That's actually such a crazy idea. If I don't do it, like someone needs to do that idea. And so I, you know, I called up some guys and everybody kind of had the same opinion. It's like, well, that's that's such a ridiculous idea. Like we this is gonna work. Yeah, yeah, this is gonna we work. Should, we, should, <laughs> we should do it. And we uh, you know, make a long story short, we crowdfunded uh an album, which is now finished, and it's it's just called Elon. And it's got 10 tracks on it. And it's just like ridiculous, over-the-top power metal. And, you know, there's, um, I mean, I'll give you some of the song titles. You can get an idea of what this stuff is like. I mean, the the intro track, which is like the big, slow, building, like, intro to the album is called For the Glory of Elon. And then you've got, uh, let's see, Falcons Over Moscow. You've got <laughs> Fusion Reactor in the Sky. You've got... Uh, <laughs> Summoning the Demon, which is about uh, artificial intelligence taking over yeah. uh, City on Mars. And then the, the final track is called Cryogenic Guardian, which is my favorite track in a conceptual sense, because that it's this long, epic song. And the lyrics are about that uh, Elon is so important to humanity that we should cryogenically freeze him so we can save him, like, for later on. So, yes. you know, it, 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 at some point... At some point, we'll get into trouble, and we don't know what to do, and so we'll thaw him out. And then With a boring company flamethrower? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, I got to say something real quick about that. So Elon Musk takes a lot of heat, but he has got a really good sense of humor about it. And he would laugh. Funny, like, because that flamethrower thing, somebody came to because he, he is the kind of guy who he loves ideas. That's what he does. He, it's like the people that work for him, work with him, uh, that's what he wants to do. He wants to get people to come up with new things and new ideas. So somebody said, let's come up with a flamethrower. And so that's what they did. <clears throat> and of course you should, you should hear him talk about that on the Joe Rogan show. But, uh, 
Check out Joe Rogan, Elon Musk, if you if you uh, are interested. I'm just in waiting that. for his strain of weed to come out. Yeah, it, that's gonna cure cancer. No, but go ahead. I, I just I just wanted to, to chime in and say that Elon Musk he he would love this. You should send this to him seriously. You know, I I don't know. I mean, obviously he's uh, not exactly an easy guy to get a hold of, but uh, I know that some people, like a, a couple people who work at Tesla, they've told me that they actually have sent it to him. Uh, but I, I don't, you know, I haven't heard anything. Reach anything out to him on, on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. He's there's, super there's active too. on Twitter. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I would. That, that sounds like so good. So much fun. I think, well, first we'll have to, uh, we'll have to link that album. Oh yeah. Uh, and sure, then sure. I have to get it. Cause I gotta, I gotta listen to that. I gotta, I got a long drive. I'm going to gear fest. And, uh, yeah. He's driving from, from Virginia to gear fest in, I got 12, uh, in 12 hour Indiana. ride. So yeah, I'll send you, I'll send you a copy. No problem. Thanks. Um, so let's let's back up. So we know you cover like a lot of inexpensive gear on your on your um, on your show. Like, what are you using live? Like, what do you what are you normally taking out? I've got a great Black Star head that I really love uh, for amps. Um, kind of my, uh, you know, I, I have a weird mishmash of gear that I use. I've got a Black Star head that I really like, and I've got a Carvin Legacy cabinet, which is you know the Steve Vai cabinet. Yeah. Uh, with you know the Celestians, of course, and I, I love that cab. Uh, and then guitar-wise, it really depends a lot on the gig that I'm doing. Sure, sure. Uh, I played for a while. I'm not in the band anymore, but for a while I played in a industrial metal band, and so for that I was it, you know it's like C sharp tuning or something. Right. Uh, it's funny I say or something because like I'm not even paying attention to what the tuning is. But, yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, so I was using a Schecter, you know, had a, right, a right, Schecter right. V for that. Uh, you know, hardtail bridge handles the lower tunings really well. But then I've got, uh, I actually have a couple other, I have another Schecter that I just got recently that I really like. It's an E1, it's like their Explorer sort of right. shape. And it also has the Sustainiac, or the Sustainiac electronics in it and a uh, nice purple quilt finish. So it gives, it gives me the 80s vibes that I need. Mm. uh what else here i mean i i've got like 30 something guitars these days so uh it's you know everybody's like well what's your favorite one i was like ah it's an impossible question yeah that's why i asked you what you actually use right now because uh I, i'm the same way like i have nine guitars right now and uh i have two that i actually use out of the out of the lot but like right. i have the other ones for other purposes um and you, you know jim's got you've got more a than lot a few guitars yeah a lot. and and <laughs> so my primaries are behind me can't see the yeah. a, uh fender stratocaster i keep in standard tuning and a telecaster that's a half step down but i just picked up a schecter myself <clears throat> which, oh my gosh the mic stand you can't see but it's a um it's a monster <laughs> logo <laughs> schecter and i think it was a, i think monster did a giveaway because there's only a few of these out there you know but, it's a turd. Yeah, it's a pickups it are total garbage. But I, I want to find some decent pickups for it. But as far as the guitar goes, it's actually a nice guitar. It's just got it's got binding. Yeah, so I'm gonna say that about it. Yeah, it's got binding. It's actually really light, really nice. The the neck is really good. I'm, you're gonna get to play with it, Dave. Um, I don't wanna. David, yeah. Well, <laughs> you're gonna try. You're gonna. You, you're, I'm gonna force you. I have caviar tastes. Yeah, he does. So um, yeah, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, well, I mean, we, we bought a Shengze, right? Are you familiar with Shengze? You ever heard of this company, Bad Cat Guitars? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I don't know how familiar are you are with, with them, but they're like defunct now, right? Like they've been in business and then out of business and then back in business, and then nobody's actually received a guitar from them, so they're out of business. Um, and it's just, it's like a whole dramatic thing, but we did it because on the, in the early days of the show, Jim and I were talking about like, are Chinese guitars really as good as people say they are? So we went out and I put my money where my mouth is and I ordered a Shengze. And we totally expect, like we basically got what we expected to get, right? So the guitar came in, played okay, needed some work, needed new tuners, definitely needed um, pickups. It needs a new bridge. I haven't done the bridge yet. That's on down the road. Um, but like, I mean, it's not terrible. Um, it's on par with like what you would get from Epiphone. And it's about a hundred bucks cheaper, um, but you know there were just like little things like the case didn't fit it right, and um, just like little stuff like that. But we've been kind of we've been kind of repping like because of what Jim and I end up buying the most of the time, like these more high end brands, and people are kind of giving us crap because like it's like well this is supposed to be the practical guitarist podcast. Yeah, put- but the the Schecter first of all the Schecter the reason I purchased that is because I know that I know one thing about Schecter. You can you can get them, tune them down, and they'll still sound really good. And I need to be get get that to drop C sharp. Um, and I've got a uh, can't see it on here, but I've got that Telecaster that plays pretty good. That was a hundred and like twenty dollars. Um, so it's not. I don't think you have to spend a lot of money. I think it's just sometimes about what you get. My favorite, one of my favorite bases that I ever owned was a Schecter. It was a Schecter Custom. Um, uh, I think they've gone to Stiletto now, but it was the five. And uh, I really like that bass. Um, and uh, it was one of the few basses where EMGs in it, it sound really good. So <clears throat> I think uh, now you you have a lot of, uh, Max, you have a lot of uh, guitars that you get to you get to demo on the, on the channel. And if you had to pick one of your favorite budget guitars that you were going to use, and and you can you can name several if you'd like. Um, what what kind of budget guitar or guitars would you use, and what in what circumstance? Why do they why do they stand out for you? Well, what what do you guys consider budget? Well, you know the ones that are that that um, are not you know anything under five hundred dollars is pretty much budget. Okay, well that's that's a lot of options. So I mean, yeah. there's a cup there's a couple that come come to mind right away. I did one uh, a wolf. You know, W O L F. Yeah, uh, I think I saw that less, one. Yeah, I saw that. Red. That was really good. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I I got that guitar a while ago, and I still have it, and I still play it on a regular basis, and it's really, really nice. Um, you know, the the guitar itself, I think uh, the guitar itself, I think has kind of a darker tone because of the body wood and so forth, and and the the uh, thickness of the body. But the pickups are a little on the bright side, and just between the, those two factors, it just has a really articulate but thick kind of tone to it. Yeah, like chunky. Uh, so, yeah, chunky. Yeah. So that one, the, the Wolf, uh, is great. And then I also have a Harley Benton Fusion guitar that I got recently. Uh, I, I haven't even done I haven't even done a video on it yet, but I have it, and it's one of these. Uh, Stainless steel frets and all that stuff. Stainless steel frets, yeah. roasted, roasted neck, and that guitar is like about four hundred dollars. Um, I think it's like four twenty-two with a gig bag or something like that. And if they did it the seven string, if they did yeah, it the seven string, 
it's ridiculous. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic guitar. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it's actually kind of funny talking about Harley Benton. Um, I just got back like a couple days ago. I thought from, you went. Yeah, from this uh, Tomon uh, Gearhead University thing over in Germany. Did you get to and, hang out with Ryan Burke at all? Uh, no, I, d I don't think I did. All right, so he's the tall, like, red-faced guy with beard, like, beard surfer, you know, dude. But, yeah, he and I know each other through podcast community, so I was, I was asking. Like, okay, no. Ho hopefully I... You know, I might have spent hours hanging out with him. Yeah, did, that's what I'm saying. That, like, I, I can't imagine the there were that many dudes there. Like, <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. They're they're actually there's a very distinctive look. Uh, the long hair that's with the the bun on the top of the head, and then a big beard. There was like six guys who looked exactly like that. Yeah, but... no, he's blonde though. <laughs> like, okay. very blonde. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, but no, I just I just got back from that thing, and I I checked out a whole bunch of the Harley Benton stuff they had over there. Uh, and it's just, it's really, really cool. You know, I, I think sometimes, um, sometimes people go to the Harley Bentons after they have been burned by buying a Chipson. Yeah. And it's, that's a good thing for a lot of different reasons, but man, this, this thing, I've, I, I have it sitting right next to me here, this fusion. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's got, I mean, it's just so, you know, I wish they did them in a flat color to be honest with you. Oh Yeah. Cause, it, Cause, like, I don't care about veneer or any of that stuff. Like, right. just give me a flat color. Like, I'd be fine with that for an inexpensive guitar. Dave and I and, were talking about Harley Benton's yesterday. And I yeah, was there's going to. So, we're going to Gear Fest. Wednesday, we have a special episode dropping. And last night, we had a big conversation about Harley Benton. So, it's really good that we're having this discussion, but our listeners are going to hear us in retrospective talking about it, like, after the fact. Yeah. So, what I want to say is this, like, we we kind of feel like Harley Benton is basically like Chipsons with quality control. Like, that's essentially what it is. I mean, like, they order a such large quantity of spec guitars that they can actually quality control them, and they can keep the prices low. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and, they're, and they're also somewhat doing their own designs, too. I mean, obviously, right. they, do have, they do have guitars that are exactly like a Fender Strat with yeah. just a different headstock, you know, but they have a lot of other stuff too. Um, I think the fusion is pretty yeah. unique. Cause like, cause like I, yeah. I looked at that guitar really long and hard. Um, I just got a Kiesel. That was my last guitar I bought. I bought a, a right. Kiesel Zeus, uh, headless, you know, seven string. And, uh, I was like looking at Harley Benton and like, man, I just really want something with stainless steel frets. And this is like 400 bucks plus, you yeah. know, $30 shipping or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, I, you know, honestly, I could see somebody, if you're, if you're a local pro and you're playing like bar gigs and you need like three guitars and you, you just want to like get out, get a set of three for this particular set of gigs you're doing, order three Harley Bentons. Like you'll get through the gigs. I mean, and then you'll have the same guitar and you could just swap it out if you break a string. It's no big deal. Yeah. I mean, I had a guy, uh, a buddy of mine who was uh, over here and he was playing the Harley Benton. This guy, his day job is that he's he works at the uh, Fender Custom Shop, okay? And he was playing the Harley Benton, and he's like, man, this neck is really nice. Like, he was impressed with it. And it was just, you know, with the finish on the neck and the fretwork and everything, and it's like, you know, you somebody like that, you tell them, oh, yeah, this guitar, this guitar costs 400 bucks. They, you know, they fall out of their seat when they hear that. <laughs> I'm staring at Jim right now. I can't tell because there's four pictures on the screen, but I'm staring at him like, yeah, you know what I'm staring at you for. 
Yeah. So I made a, I made the statement um, yesterday, which will go public, <laughs> that um, I am going to buy a Harley Benton. I'm going to order one. And I'm, I'm not going to let the, him forget about it either. I'm going to order the gold top, um, single cut uh, with the uh, P90s in it. Oh yeah. I'm going to give it a shot. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? What? Jim, you have a you have like a hundred and twenty nine dollars Squire Affinity Telly that you played and you've played at gigs. I know, and it, and it worked well. <clears throat> I played it in front of five thousand people, and it it was just fine. Nobody went, "Wow, that guy's guitar is a Squire." I hate that. Ran out, and nobody went. As a matter of fact, I had one person because I had just replaced the other guitar player for this band. I had one person say, "Wow, you found your new guitar player, and he is really good." I was like, no, the guitar is good. I am not. That thing is good. Hey, what you should do is uh, sand the squire off of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave the, the by fender, me. but just sand the squire logo. Leave the by fender part on there. Yeah, it's I'm just gonna, gonna be different. Yeah, I'm gonna get a whole bunch of uh, stuff done. To well, you were talking about putting a new neck on that thing. Don't bother. Yeah. I don't know. It. It's not worth it's it. It's not. It's not worth it. You know why it's not worth it? Because the neck it has is actually pretty good. Yeah. And that's that's the amazing thing. I think, uh, Max, you could probably speak to this, is that <clears throat> there was a time when you had to spend money for quality. And now we're seeing, and we talked about this before, we're seeing the price point come down, but the quality come up to meet it. And more and more, after you after you break that $500 to $1,000 range, which you get diminishing that, returns. You, you've got extremely diminishing returns. And it's just hard to say because I I really want to get a Les Paul with P90s in it, but do I really want to spend twenty five hundred dollars on a guitar that I'm only going to play like three or four songs on? You know, now I have. Again? You guys can't see it's off screen, but right here next to me I have a GNLS five hundred. All right, when I bought this guitar, it was like fourteen hundred dollars new, um, and I was throwing it up against Sirs and like at like three K, and I'm like, why would you spend three thousand dollars on that? Like there's just no difference, um, and and I've got like I've got GNL tributes in the other room. They're like five hundred fifty bucks, and I'll be honest with you. Like if I was making the decision today about what I was going to do, I probably wouldn't have bought the USA one. Except that that would there, there's a reason why I actually bought this guitar. It's a sentimental thing, but um, I I honestly would have like thought really hard about it and been like, why don't I just buy the five hundred and fifty dollar tri- tribute? Yeah, I mean, I I, I hate to say this, but I think it's a it's a status symbol, right? I mean, it's a musician's status symbol. You know, it's like wearing an expensive watch or something like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, these days, I mean, you you look at, you, you know, you made some great points. Um, it reminds me of the Jackson guitars right now. They've got like a JS, the JS32 series, which is the low one. And they've got their X series, which is like the next step up. And then, then after that, then you start getting into the... Uh, and they've got the pro series that then you start getting into the USA made stuff, right? Which is going to run you 2,500, three grand for something like that. Mm-hmm. You get into that X series. It's like, okay, the JS ones, the cheaper ones, you know, a bolt on neck, you know, made in India or something like that. Still a good guitar, but you get into that X series, you're looking at 500 bucks, 600 bucks, right in that price range. It's a neck through guitar, big jumbo frets, really nicely finished. You know, you do some kind of a blindfold challenge between a guitar like that and, and a USA-made one with, you know, the same body and everything. I think almost nobody would be able to tell it apart. It's just, it's just, it's gotten so close. You know, the difference in quality between a $500 guitar and a $3,000 guitar. Like, unless you're, 
using some kind of crazy exotic materials or something like that. It's just, yeah. it's crazy. It's yeah. And, and I, I'm glad you did the video cause you, cause I, it might've been your most recent video where you, where you talked about the, the, uh, the chips and you've got like one year later or two years later. Yeah. Like after using it on gigs and stuff. And that's great. Cause that's exactly what I was going to point out is like, you always kind of wonder when you go to like the really inexpensive, like Agathis bodies and things like that, are they going to warp? Are they, you know, are you going to get a neck hump? And like, I'm glad to hear yours didn't. And I kind of wonder like if that's a bigger issue with the wood selection stuff on the more inexpensive guitars. I mean, I do know, like if you go to a reputable manufacturer, like if I buy a Janelle Tribute, right? It's being made by Court in Indonesia. And Court's Indonesian factory is probably the most advanced guitar factory in the world. Um, and they've, I mean, they just put billions of dollars in it because they build guitars for everybody. It used to be Samick did that. Now Samick is kind of like not doing that anymore. And so, um, they've got a couple of clients. So what they, what's ended up happening is that, you know, Quartz taking over all that business. So if you can, if you can kind of like do your research about the company that's actually building the guitar, even though it's under a different label, you'll know what you're getting. I mean, if I buy, so my, my, my GNL tributes. I can buy a Fender Squire Classic Vibe or something like that, and it it's going to be roughly the same quality level because they're both coming out of the Indonesian Court Factory, and they're both probably specking a similar amount of quality control services. Because obviously, obviously, if I if I'm let's say I'm ESP Ltd. right, and I go and I want to go have Court build me a run of guitars, I can pro I can probably tell them like what level of quality control I want to get, and so they would they will quote me a price based on that. Um, that's why I'm like, yeah, there's a little bit of that there, but I mean, there's no reason not to buy an import, like an inexpensive import. Now, I think going with a reputable company like Harley Benton or somebody like that's probably a better, a better option for most people. Um, buying that Shengze, I have to say was extremely sketchy. Um, that whole process was just hilarious. And it, dude, I got tags on that guitar that said that the guitar was that that Shengze had been in business since like 1981. Shengze's not been in business since 1981. Like, there's no way. And uh, it was it was so funny because it's like there are all these things about like the the factory it was made in and like all this you know manufacturing stuff. And and it like they had pictures of like the factory. And it was so funny because you could like go online and you could Google Shengze. And there was a video with him being interviewed by somebody on like CNN or something, and they were he was walking him through the production facility, and it was not what was pictured. <laughs> was oh yeah, like, it was like what is going on here? Um, so I, I and I get it, like they have to have a similar type of marketing to be able to sell to the United States, but I think most of us guitar players would rather than be honest than to be like, here's this picture of this beautiful factory in another country that, that or or this factory that Epiphone runs, you know, here in in, uh, in China. Um, but I don't, I'm like, I'll be honest with you, like three years ago, if you told me like, I'm gonna buy a Chinese guitar, I would just laugh and be like, why would I ever do that? But now I'm like, all the Epiphones are being made in China. Like, it's, it's not a big deal anymore. It's also because um, they goaded you into it. Well, no, no, no. I'm not talking about the Shingse. Like, oh. I, I st believe me, I'm still apprehensive about buying from small builders in China. But my point is that I used to have like this whole thing about like I really don't want to give my money for something that's made in in another country because of the resale value, right? 
like now that's not even an issue anymore. I mean, Fender completely blurred the lines in terms of where things are being made. Yeah, no, you make a really good point there about the sort of the stigma of overseas manufacturing has really has really gone away in recent years. And uh, there's a guitar that I'm gonna that I I have now, and I'm gonna be reviewing it soon. It's an Eastman guitar. Okay, and it's uh, it's made in China, but it's like a high end Chinese manufacturer. You know, this it's like a thousand dollar guitar, mm-hmm. and it's a Les Paul style. But you know, they they did a good job because it's not just okay. Here's a Les Paul, and we put a different logo on it. I mean, it's a slightly different body shape, slightly different headstock. But this guitar, no joke, this guitar has some of the best fretwork I have ever seen. I mean, the frets, the the fret ends and the crowning on this is fantastic. And it's like, uh, you know, it comes with a nice case. And like I said, these are like around $1,000, you know, like 900 to 11, depending on the model. Yeah. Do you know what they remind me of? Heritage. Yeah. Um, yeah, ver- for sure. Very much like Heritage. And and if you go to their site, um, I'm scrolling through right now, they they talk about antique varnish and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, this this is clearly where so Jim and I had predicted that this was going to happen so, like two years ago when we when we got the Shengzhe. It's almost two years now. It's been about a year and a half, year and nine months that someone was going to become the high the high end Chinese guitar manufacturer, right? Like we we saw that coming because we know kind of like how the the product life cycle works when they when they start first off like any third world country they counterfeit then they then they create. They start making like quality guitars and then they innovate and they make something that's like top shelf that people will be willing to buy at any price. Um, and these are, yeah, I mean, so I'm looking through here, like there are guitars listed on here, 1799. I thought I saw one for over 2000 bucks and these guitars look legit. Like they're, they're slightly unique in the shape and they have some unique specs. Only time will tell. I mean, you're saying the fretwork is outstanding. Um, only time will tell if they get picked up here. But I, I have a feeling like we're going to see that happen, that that there will be like Chinese brands in the States that people will be buying. Um, and so the big thing for me is not really how it looks because like my Shengze is gorgeous. Um, there's some finish flaws in it, but they're like minor. But the big thing for me is like the electronics and the hardware. Right. They, if If the electronics and the hardware aren't there, I don't think they can get people to buy in. Because you have to replace all that stuff. Um, sure. But I think we might be on the verge of that. I mean, um, one thing I've been I've been complaining to Jim about is like Gibson Gibson owns Kramer, right? I'd like to see a rebirth of Kramer, but I don't think they can do it under a USA brand. Mm. I think they have to go to like Epiphone, you know, and have Epiphone bring back Kramer because they need a guitar line right in that like seven hundred and fifty to, to fifteen hundred dollar range that really occupies like a specific niche. And I think, um, I think Kramer has a good enough like memory for a lot of people and they're starting to become kind of vintage prized pieces that it would be worth it for them to investigate that. Yeah. I think they could go the way that Charvel has gone, Mm -hmm. you know, where they've got either, you know, you can get a new Charvel, like a Sandinus or Promod or something like that for like, seven eight hundred dollars in that range there and those are really solid guitars and then they've got a handful of signature models and so forth and you know high-end pieces that are 
you know, that are like a couple thousand or something, but those are like the, the kind of standout models they have. And yeah, I think Kramer could do exactly something like that. Okay, okay, okay. So I'm still looking at um, Eastman, and I got to say their arch tops are gorgeous. Like they have, I'm not really into these kinds of guitars, but they have some really unique shapes, and they look like they could rival somebody like Godin. And that's that's impressive. So it'll be. I'm going to keep my eye on these guys because this this looks like a company that might be uh, doing some stuff um, fairly shortly. So, uh, but yeah. So we'd only slotted an hour for you. I mean, if you want to stick around, we can we can do another 15 minutes or something. Um, it's not a problem. We usually do like an hour and a half episode, but um, we make it work. It's yeah, sure. If you guys want to, that's totally fine. All right, cool, cool. I just didn't know what your schedule is like, and we've you know we've had other guests that are like in the middle of like touring and stuff. So um yeah yeah we, we'll we'll give you another like 15 minutes or something uh jim do you have you have any questions you want to ask because like i've been dominating this thing yeah well no you do you've been doing a great job um of dominating things anyway mm -hmm. um <laughs> so yeah i i just wanted to ask um you know you've got the elon musk album that's coming out can you tell us a little more about that 80s uh tribute band thing you've got going on Oh yeah, well that's the that's actually it's not a tribute band. It's it's kind of funny. I, I I tell people, yeah, I play in this uh this, you know, 80s metal band. It's an actual 80s metal band, uh Hellion, and I just happen to be the oh, young man. guy, you know, I'm I'm like the young guy by by 20 years, you know, in the band. Right. Um and it's it's the way that band works. Um the other members, I mean everybody in the band is involved in other projects. So it's one of these bands where when everyone else's or when everybody's projects kind of quiet down and every you know they they get six everyone gets six months like free at the same time then we get together and we do an album or we do a tour or something like that. But it's uh I mean some of the other guys in the band, you know Simon Wright, he's the drummer for uh in like Operation Mind Crime and the, yep. the whole Dio Disciples uh um uh Scott Warren also is the keyboard player in there and then bjorn england plays bass and he's he's like he's played for ingve and uh a whole bunch of guys that's probably all i know the work. name from yeah 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 but yeah it that's that's a really great band i mean there's uh there was an ep uh while back called karma's a bitch uh <laughs> which was a lot of fun and uh but yeah there, there's also like a live album that is recorded and finished but it's like we have to wait until we do a tour, uh, you know, so we're, we're sitting on it to, to release that. But that's a really, really, it's a really fun band. And it's very, uh, very much, uh, you know, 80s Judas Priest, Dio, yeah, I was know, gonna say really that, in that vibe. Yeah, that's what I remember. Because I've listened to some of it. It's been, it's been a while. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they're more like, like, I would say more on the Judas Priest side than like, like say, Iron Maiden or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I... Um, I was in a in an industrial band for about two years, uh, although I I exited the band recently. That's it's kind of a funny situation, but uh, yeah, it's that's that <laughs> genre is a really hard sell these days. So it's uh, you know. Well, we were laughing because I know Jim and I have watched that Hired Guns uh, documentary oh, yeah. this on Netflix, and we were kind of cracking up because. Uh, you know, think about industrial, like who do you think of? You think of like Nine Inch Nails, right? And those kind of yeah. bands, and yeah. ministry, and and they they had that section where they were talking about Trent Reznor, 
and like how he would pay his visit musicians like a hundred dollars a day and they'd have to sleep on the floor of the van and like all this craziness <laughs> and it's like it's like well the, i wonder why that music's not popular now <laughs> nobody wants to play it <laughs> yeah it's a well it's a funny uh you know it's that point in time right i i compare it to cars if you're going to buy a used car like there's that there's that point in time where it's just an old car that nobody wants. And yeah. like in a few more years, it'll become a vintage car and you could collect it, but it's not quite there yet. But like that music, it's like that late nineties industrial scene. And it's just at that wrong age where it's like, it's not old enough to be like really nostalgic. Yeah. Uh, but it's not recent enough to be cool. And so there's just, I mean, I, here I am talking crap about it. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who still love that stuff, but it's, it's, uh, as genres go, I think it's one of the hardest things to really find an audience for right now. Well, I see. So like, I see, um, so gent is obviously like the big thing right now. Right. And I don't yeah. even really consider that genre under itself. It's, but it's just like overproduced metal is my opinion. But, um, and, and I listen to some bands in that genre, but, but my, my point is that if, I always saw like the industrial acts as being like kind of merging um, uh, electronic music and and like uh, I won't say metal, but it, like just rock music in general in some cases. And I see like that gent is kind of doing the same thing. And I wonder if like the underpinnings, like the the perception behind it, they're they're looking at not necessarily the electronica of then, but they're looking at like dubstep and that kind of stuff and being like how can we emulate that um and thinking like thinking back like there's definitely going to be nostalgia for this because like we're still doing the same things um and i i could certainly see like nine inch nails doing some sort of like crazy reunion tour where they perform like you know all of uh i forget what the second album's named but like i could see them doing the whole album live just like smashing pumpkins just did their thing where they did all of you know the their early hits and stuff like and made a big production out of it yeah yeah you see a lot of that um sticks did that um you know they they came out did the whole uh pieces of eight um album when they did their thing foreigners done i mean but i i'm not sure if they were the first ones but pink floyd did that with dark side of the moon in 1990s they did the whole dark side of the moon and they did music around that um so they opened with like astronomer Dominity, which was a 60s thing and then they went into dark side of the moon they did the entire dark side of the moon album that's how and you then, know you've crossed over to nostalgia though jim when you're performing like an album that you did like 20 years ago in its entirety yep. like that's nostalgia you're you're being driven by nostalgia at that point right. yeah and, and i'm not i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it actually it's a great sales formula um but i'm just saying like that's exactly what we're talking about. And it's playing into this whole idea that, you know, industrial music is kind of like in this gray area between it's, it's just old music now. And, and I think you mentioned uh, operation mind crime, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's one that, um, was done that way. I mean, I love that. That's one of my, all that's favorite one of my favorite albums. records. I think it's a lot of people's, one of their favorite records. And then like, they couldn't repeat it to save their lives. <laughs> and Jeff Tate, slowly became jeff taint um <laughs> and that's yeah so and i and i don't mean that as in like the the body part i mean that as in like he tainted the band and like then broke yeah. it up and 
then there were two there were two queen's ranks for a while and yeah that was a weird time <laughs> that was no. that was really crazy to watch you live you live out in the la area right you're out there in a yeah that's right west coast so <clears throat> um is that kind of like you're in the musician obviously in a musician's uh core of friends and hangouts and stuff do you is that kind of news out there when you were you following that at all when when they were battling it out in the courts i mean that was a while ago i guess yeah i guess that was a couple years ago but yeah absolutely i was i was following that and i you know i saw like both incarnations of the band you know i was just curious i'm like hey let's let's check yeah, it out you're like, you why know, not see how it stacks <laughs> up yeah but yeah yeah absolutely that was that was a big thing um i always i'm glad you asked that jim because i always wonder because like i don't have like a lot of connections in the music community um unfortunately so i had kids like in my 20s so i kind of fell out of the scene here and like i'm trying to get back on the horse it's been a thing for the last like last two years and it's i I don't have any connections to people that are like pro players anymore. Like I used to, but, um, but Jim's like, you know, asking that question. I'm like, I'm always curious as to whether you guys are like looking at what's going on in other bands, like kind of like looking for, for positions to fill in and like, uh, and or like just to follow along. So you know what's going on in the scene, like how close that becomes as part of an activity. Yeah, it it's no, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty key thing. I mean, for me personally, I'm, lately i've had such i've been so happy with my success on youtube that's become my main focus now um mm -hmm. you know i think of it as it's a way that i can reach people that i would normally never be able to reach so i'm not quite as uh i'm not concentrating as much on the touring as i used to but no absolutely people are always talking amongst each other and and yeah, i i hate to say it but there's definitely a uh you know, people try to put on a certain face for the public and for the mm -hmm. fans, and then that's yeah, not always reflective of of reality and how people really feel about each other. You know, I think most of the time when somebody's I'm like, "Oh, well, yeah, he's a very accomplished musician. He's really made a name for himself. I really respect him as an artist." But we just have some musical differences, so we're not going to work. And behind the scenes, like this guy's yeah. a jerk. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Oh God, I have to work with that guy one more time. I'm going to kill myself." You well, know, you so. know, I got to I got to hand it to Eddie Van Halen on that one. Like him and David Lee Roth can't even stay in the same hotel. <laughs> he's, oh, yeah. he's completely honest about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so when it came to Hell Unit, I want to ask you this just because there's some of our listeners who, you know, they think, okay, uh, how do I get into a band if I'm if I'm looking at him? Because it, as you mentioned, I think that guy's from Hell Unit, closer to my age, right? So um, if how does a guy who's probably in his 30s get into a band with with a group like that and and who has a, a already has like a, a core of musicians and when you did get into the band what was what was your process of having to you know become a part of the the touring process or at least the club part process yeah well if i'm being perfectly honest there's a certain element of luck to it because obviously the position had to be available to begin with and that had nothing to do with me right, right. but the other part of it is you know like we've been talking the style that I like to play is more what I would consider sort of classic shred, right? Sort of classic metal stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I had to develop that. And that means that I'm going to be a good fit for that style of music, you know, a band like that. So part of it is luck. Part of it is just the choices I made when I was looking at my influences and, you know, kind of deciding what I wanted to play. The other part of it, uh, 
specifically in the case of Hellion, because Anne Boleyn is the lead singer, and she's you know this this classic uh, female metal vocalist from the eighties. Um, at the time, I was doing some music that featured a female lead vocalist, and musically, it was kind of similar. So I think she was going around. I mean, she was asking people, "Hey, I'm looking for a guitar player for the band. Any recommendations?" She talked to somebody who knew me and knew that, well, I'm already doing something that's really pretty similar. So it was, you know, I think when you look back at it now, it's kind of an obvious good fit. Um, but as far as, you know, once I got in the band, uh, you know, I knew that she had some people in mind that, you know, that she, for the other positions, she had some people in mind already. Um, and there were kind of in the beginning, there was some, she was trying to get some more of the older members uh, that had been in the band in the in the eighties and nineties. Um, I met a couple of those guys, and either they life circumstances prevented them from being in the band or something like that. But you know, it ended up being a eighty percent new lineup right in that band. Um, but uh, I mean, for me, the whole thing was was great, you know, because I get to learn from these guys who have more experience than me. And I get to hear all the cool stories, and you know, it's it was a really great thing. Well, you know, and it, I know that there's a lot of stigma from people who listen to music and like, oh, it's not the original lineup, right? Like, we get this a lot. We hear this a lot from a lot of people about a lot of bands. I can say, like, I went to see the Guess Who. Uh, I think it was probably you know, it had to be at least ten years ago now, right? So they were yeah. doing the festival circuit, and they were playing a local festival, and it was the bass player. And uh, I want to say one of the singers. And so, no, actually, singer had retired. So it was a bass player and, like, like maybe the drummer, right? It was, like, two guys out of a, out of a six-person band. And, uh, of course, Randy Bachman is obviously not there. And, like, you know what? Honestly, like, it was cool to see him in that configuration because you get to see, like, okay, so here's the original guys, and, like, this is the core of the band, and they're the ones that retain the rights to the name and all that stuff. And... You, you just get this, like, feeling. It's like, well, there's people carrying the torch. I went to see the Turtles. A similar situation, right? So it was two of, the, two of the original guys from the band and then three other people. And, I mean, of course, Turtles is, like, 1960s, like, like yeah. mid-60s. Yeah. And uh, I got to see, like, Jude Gold or, so, or somebody like that. Yeah, yeah, on, playing on, guitar. For them. Yeah. Mm. And I'm like, I would have never seen that. And, and, of course, this was before he blew up. You know, he wasn't even, pub, uh, uh, like, an editor for Guitar World or, any, or a guitar player or anything at that point. And so I, there's just this guy just, like, smoking on guitar. And I'm sitting there going, I would have never seen this otherwise. And then later on, now now I know who he is. Like, And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, I've seen him before. Um, I think that was Jude Gold with the Turtles. He might have been with somebody else. But but I, I got to see him, like, a long time before anybody even knew who he was. Um and it was just, it's a really weird situation. Yeah, it's funny because I think that that probably led to him becoming the guitar player for um, uh, Jefferson Airplane. Well, yeah. Jefferson Starship. No, so <clears throat> I think I've seen him twice now that I think about it. Because I saw him in a band that opened up for Peter Frampton, too. Uh, same sense. dude. Same dude, right? Like, I didn't know it was the same dude until he got a little solo spot at the end of her set. And it, he was singing with a, a, a girl that had done... Um, uh, some Broadway play about Janis Joplin. So there was like a lot of Janis Joplin cover tunes in the set. And I think that may have been what led him into the Jefferson Airplane gig. That's possible. Like, 
because they were they were picking up steam. So I don't know what the whole situation was like, but but yeah. So like you don't get the opportunity to see new players unless you go to see like some of these hired guns sitting in with old bands and stuff like that. I um, think that's true. I, I think another another part of it that maybe some of the audience doesn't always doesn't always appreciate is you know when you get a, a lineup together it's a new lineup and let's say like what you're talking about there's a couple guys who are original and everybody else is new it's not necessarily that they're trying to dick over the other guys it's like they no. just maybe they're dead right or maybe right? they yeah. just don't want to go and they don't want to do it anymore you randy know? bachman like yeah you know it's same same situation like he's moved on and yeah. and that's okay and i think I think that's why, like, I'm I'm kind of crusading against against that stigma. It's because I think people don't understand that at some point, like, sometimes people just make decisions to move on, and they don't want to retread on you know past material or whatever. And like, it's just that's fine. Um, yeah, and it's like, would you that. would you prefer for the band to just not exist at all? You know, I don't think I think most people. It's like, well, no, I would like the band. I mean, it's like. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry that it's not the exact lineup that is your, you know, your favorite lineup or something. But sometimes yeah. it's it's either that or the band is just not not going to be there at all. That's Could you that. imagine going see Deep Purple with the Mark II lineup? Like, good luck, you know? Yeah, well, right. That happened to me when I was um. So I was I can't remember if I was 13 or 14 years old. Bon Scott passed away, and um, you know, everybody got mad at ACD. Well, not everybody. There were there, were, there was a, a lot of people, of people did, who got ticked off at ACDC and then their biggest album. I mean, that thing's, you know, uh, by far and away, I don't know what's above diamond platinum diamond status, but it's way above that. And it's sold in like a hundred million, uh, album, uh, sales. So it's, I can't even imagine what my guitar playing childhood would have been like without, you know, um, back in black or for those about to rock or fly on the wall or thunder. Excuse me, Thunderstruck or any of that stuff. Who made who? Now, I will say this though: like, I'm not a big fan of the franchise band, like Foreigner's doing. Right? So, we've talked about this on the show, Jim. Foreigner has decided that they're going to license their band name out to another band to perform their music. Oh, I because heard that. None of the guys want to do it anymore. No, I, really? I, I, yeah. Well, I okay. So last I knew, I knew that Lou Graham he had. He had a brain aneurysm or something. Yeah, no, he had cancer, and then he came back. They did like they did like five, ten years of touring, and then they retired, and that's it. And they're not they're not performing anymore. But they decided that the guys that were performing with them at that time, like, well, just license them. They can do it. So occasionally they do come out and perform with the band, but it's basically like a totally different band. Well, you and I have talked about that. The uh, the um, when when a band decides, okay, you know what, we're gonna have a. um, we're gonna have a laser thing, a, a hologram. Yeah, the hologram come show. Out and do this. and that—that's just completely ridiculous. The, the whole Zappa thing with yeah. Zappa as a hologram is just ridiculous. It's, honestly, what Forner did, and, and I don't know all the specifics of it, so I'm probably talking out my butt on some of this. But like, Forner licensed their name out to another group of guys. That's just the same thing as the hologram yeah, show. That's just it, it's except you got real people on stage. That's the only difference. Give me at least one one member. Yeah, dude, like uh, Mick Jones can come out or something, you know? Right. Exactly. So we've got to ask you, we've got to ask you our closing questions. Yeah, yeah. Right. They're the Those best. Are, You're going to love these. Yeah. So we, we've got to ask you, give us some, uh, your favorite, um, uh, your favorite moment of either touring or studio or something that you can, you can share that's your favorite moment so far in your career. 
Okay, I'll give you uh, I'll give you a favorite touring moment. Uh, so I I was doing a show with Hellion. This was in uh, Michigan, uh, not in Detroit, but like a little bit outside of Detroit. Okay. And the venue I've never seen this before. The venue was a combination pro wrestling and heavy metal show okay. venue. Awesome. And so they had two rooms, and they were sort of connected, so you could walk between them. One of them had a you know a stage with you know the metal band would play there, and the other room had a ring, you know, a wrestling ring, and they had and simultaneously they would have, uh, you know, semi semi pro wrestling. And I at the time I had my big mohawk and everything, and so I'm walking around with like a sleeveless shirt, my mohawk, you know, getting ready to go on stage, and people kept confusing me for one of the wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> no, you went over here. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, hey, when's your fight tonight, man? <laughs> it starts dude, at nine. <laughs> dude, I saw you in, in uh, Chicago last night. You killed it. I hope to see you again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, that's good. Um, we've had some killer ones, but that was pretty good. Like, to be honest with you, I couldn't imagine being uh, being a confused for wrestler. I've had some people <laughs> want to beat me up after shows, but I've never... I, the, uh, the worst <laughs> I've had is, um, can you show me where the acoustics are? Um, so... Uh, our other question would be, um, or, or is usually, uh, what's, can you share with us an embarrassing moment or a, a, a moment where you got, you went, Oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Oh yeah. Well, uh, on the same tour and <laughs> I won't say, I won't say any names, although no, okay. I guess if, some, if somebody really wanted to, they could look this up. But the, uh, the guy who was the road manager on that tour he was, I don't know, there was one particular night he was uh, kind of jumpy or something like that, but I was playing, you know, middle, middle of the song, middle of the set, I'm playing along, and I, there was something, I just had to like adjust the strap on my guitar or something like this, so I, so I reached back and I'm just kind of like, like, I hooked it on my shirt or something weird like that, not a big deal, you know, but it's just like, oh, I just got to move this thing. So he's off on the side of the stage, the road manager, and he sees me messing with the strap. And in his mind, this was like a crisis that, that he had to come out and, and deal with. So he runs out on stage, grabs the guitar off of me, and then runs off the stage with it. And he's like, going to go have the tech bring me my other guitar. He thinks there's something wrong with it, right? And, so, and, and I'm like, what is, what's this guy doing, right? And so I look at him and he starts running off and I start running off after him like to try and get my guitar back. And then, you know, and and of course this is like in the middle of the song and everybody's like Yeah, the solo's at me about like to I'm, start, you know. Yeah, yeah, everyone's like, "Oh, this guy's lost his mind." And, yeah. That's a spinal tap moment right there. Yeah. 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 Well, at least you didn't throw your back out, you know. Oh yeah, God. yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, so what have you got coming up that uh you would like our listeners or us to know about that that's uh you know interesting um and of course uh well, this is your moment to uh to do your what do they call it the uh, the embarrassing uh, sales pitches oh yeah sure shameless well I'll, I'll, obviously yes, if, if, if anybody out there if anybody out there is you know likes watching uh, guitar videos on youtube and i've got more and more of that stuff coming up in particular i think i've got some some really cool things coming up i'm doing a project with a guitar tech uh buddy of mine here in la uh, where we went into the local guitar center and bought the absolute cheapest guitar that we could find it was like 75 dollars 
and then we're with within a budget we're upgrading it to play as as bet you know as as great as it is possibly can that's a really fun one i'm working on right now and all the stuff uh, that i shot recently over in germany so if if you're into the harley benton stuff and there's a lot of uh, other things you know i did a demo with the uh the charvel satchel signature guitar which is really fun that i will be looking forward to yeah for yeah sure. so a lot a lot of stuff and obviously uh if somebody tuned in or or if they forgot at the top of the show guitar max if you just google guitar max or search that on youtube all of my stuff will come up there yeah we'll, we'll put it that. in our show notes as well um <clears throat> yep. so that you know anybody who's listening to this episode if you want to go like just click the link in the show notes you can uh, zoom on over there um and uh like we've extended this to all of our guests if you ever want to come back and like plug something or just you know come in and, and just talk like and tell us we're wrong. we'll have you back on the show <laughs> yeah tell us we were wrong we've had that happen before we're wrong but no we're, 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 we're often wrong. wrong we're yeah. often wrong jim what are you talking about exactly <laughs> we we really really appreciate you coming on yeah um, absolutely love the stories uh, love that I, I am looking forward to hearing the Elon Musk thing. Yeah, I'm going. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go download it for the uh, for the trip to Gearfest. Yes. You know, we don't Excellent. get a special episode. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's great having you on. Uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna do our little outro here, which is that I am David. I am Jim, and that is Max. And tonight we have we've been, been the practical guitarists. Practical guitarists. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent.